And it's uh, my privilege and honour to be here today to bring you a message about righteousness. And I'll start by saying, have you ever walked into a room where the picture was crooked uh, and you just wanted to change it? It's sort of an irresistible itch. We have a desire for things to be straight, level, proper. Um, and uh, sometimes I put this in this my prop or something, but that doesn't pretty a picture. The whole idea about righteousness and about uh, building and about create uh, well building is conforming to the idea of what you had in mind. And so today is particularly talking about righteousness and holiness and. I think of holiness as the character of God, the, the things of God that are intrinsically God. Uh, he, all the omnis, omnipresent. He's everywhere. He is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He is eternal, lives forever. And righteousness is the outworking of that character. And with God, the alignment between righteousness and holiness is absolute. Um, with us it's not so much so. Jesus called the Holy and Righteous One and today I want to, in looking at this particular passage, pull out some particular things that come out of, of there with regard to righteousness. We'll look through the whole lot and I'll say hello to the people uh, at home as well. Hello and welcome and may God bless you abundantly. Let's pray. Almighty God, loving Heavenly Father, we pray that I will express your word clearly and accurately in line with what you would have me say. Lord God, I do ask that you'll open our hearts that we might understand your desire for us, your plan for us and what you would have us do. We ask that your spirit will lead us and guide us and grow us and ask this in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The core of what I'm talking about then is um, about justification because this is what this subject's about. Maybe I won't use that there. And, and us growing to be more like God and his holiness and... The way I'm going to approach that is through this passage. It starts off with talking about compelling love. Uh, the word that we had on the screen there was controlling love or love controlling. And we'll go on and look through these verses. Before I start, I just want to mention that Corinth was is stuck in the middle of the Mediterranean. Well, not in the middle of the water, it's off to the side. You can see Corinth there in the middle of the picture, Rome off to the left, and Jerusalem down in the bottom right-hand corner. Um, interesting fact that somewhere around 146 BC, um, Rome decided to invade, either killed absolutely everyone or took them off as slaves, and the place was total ruins for 100 years. I'll just blow it up closer picture 
but uh, Corinth was a seaport at one stage and then became so again Julius Caesar thought hey I want to get trade going and so he um, got slaves or free slaves from all over his empire and shoved them there and they were a real mismatch of people. Most of the people were transients doing the sailing bit um, and so it was a pretty rough place. Um, uh, Paul visited there, obviously, and uh, uh, there was a, a, a number of people who came uh, who were teaching that the way to be right with God was to obey the laws and all the Jewish laws that were in place. And Paul got pretty upset with all this because he, he believed and knew and taught there was justification purely through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And so that's where we get to here. Paul has been defending his role as um, a teacher. Oh, I need to say <coughs> that I've got a cough that's been around for 40 odd years and it comes up in cold weather. And so my apologies for that. Um, these false teachers were teaching a justification by works and Paul was uh, spent a lot of the first four chapters saying no no it's not by works it's by grace and we get to this particular section which is probably the clearest exposition of of uh, through Christ alone justification and the gospel and so we move on to it okay compelling love I jumped over to the New King James Version um, and I'll only use it for these two verses because I like the ESV, but uh, the wording at the start is for the love of Christ compels us as opposed to the love of God controls us. Uh, and here's this us business. I just mentioned that verse 14 and 15... Um, or verse 14, Paul was talking about himself particularly, but as particular, but is very relevant to us. By the time we get to verse 17, he is talking about us, uh, those who know and love Christ. And so he changes the use of the word us from a particular hymn version to, um, to a generalised version. bit com confusing. But he was saying um, this was the reason he was here. This was the reason he wrote this particular book. This is the reason he was proclaiming all of this. For the love of God compels me, which we see as controlled. Why I didn't like controlled? Because I didn't think, uh, just didn't like that connotation. But at any rate, um, Paul is saying that he responded to God's love so greatly that he had no real choice but to, to proclaim his word and to declare what Jesus did. Um, compelled control, and I just think of the picture, you're standing with a child, pure child, might need some imagination, um, on a busy road, cars coming all over the place, child's got a, a ball, 
ball drops on the road, a child just about runs out and you put your hand out to stop them, you're compelled to action. Um, it's, it's that sense of compelling that the ESV and a lot of other books say it's so strong it controls you. Uh, obviously, you're not a robot. You, you, you're not geared to it. It's your response to your position. Okay. And I want to say that we, as God's people, should feel the same. And so we'll move on. And I want to say that, that why should we? Because God is love. And in this, the love of God was made manifest amongst us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we have loved God, but he has loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Propitiation generally means roughly met the absolute full requirements of the law in totality. Uh, by his life and death he did this. Okay, so what I'm saying is God is love and... and uh, <coughs> sorry. Our problem is that none of us are right. None of us are holy. None of us are righteous. And indeed, um, Romans says... As it was written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned away, together they have become worthless. No one does God good, not even one. Yet, and in spite of that, Jesus Christ came into the world to die on our behalf. And Romans elsewhere says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. It's hard to know. Who would you die for? But God demonstrates his own love for this, for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You might be guessing I'm I'm emphasising this bit about love as a controlling force that should be in our life, our response. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they might be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they might become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them, even as you love, even as you love me. This was uh, what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus just before he went to die on the cross. He was there and he said, you know, you have sent me into this world so that I can reconcile your children back to you. And not only that, I want them to be one like you, Father God, and I, well, I'm putting my words in, in God's mouth and I don't like doing that, but he, God, Jesus was saying that unity that the, the, the triune God had 
for eternity. He wants us to join him in that relationship. And that relationship is a love relationship. Wow, that's, um, that's, that's pretty good. Let's go on. Yep, we've been there. And so we get to this, this passage, for the love of God compels me. Because we judge that, because if one died for all, then all died. And he, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. The problem with this verse, <coughs> and in fact I'll jump back, um, is that uh, it sounds like Jesus Christ died on the cross that all people might be, would be made right with God. And, and the context of this verse um, says that, no, we should read this as that if one died for all those who will acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, then all of those people died, and he died for all of those people who will acknowledge him, um, that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. And we're taught because uh, God's word is God's word. If we look through the breadth of scripture, we see that that death is effective only for those people who, who acknowledge him as Lord and Saviour, his people. And so I'm moving on. For now, therefore, for now on, and I'm back to the ESV from now on. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. He's saying, hey, I've got a change of heart. The Holy Spirit has filled me and I now understand more of God's plan and what his purpose for us is and why he came to earth and I see through new eyes. Uh, before, I thought Christ was a heretic and I persecuted the, the church. Sorry, I thought Jesus was a heretic and I persecuted the church. He didn't think he was Christ the Messiah. He thought he was someone there and he uh, was there when Stephen was, was martyred holding a cloak, we're told, um, while other people stoned Stephen to death. Even though we, I, Paul, once regarded Christ according to the flesh, I certainly don't anymore because Jesus has um, encountered, well, he has encountered Jesus. He's now seeing him in the right context. And therefore... Um, yeah. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and new has come. And that's true for any of us who've experienced the new birth in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, um, the Holy Spirit, caused us to be a new creation. And we should see our brothers and sisters in Christ as new creations, not in the, the being that they were when they were, before they'd come to Christ. Uh, we sometimes can get hung up on the history and, 
Yeah. Which now brings us to the great transaction. Uh, this is a title given to a particular line, verse 21, for our sake he made him be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Paul loves big sentences and big stuff, so I'm going to uh, extract out some very important words, the stuff in red, uh, because they're talking about our role as ambassadors for Christ, and I want to talk about that in, in the next section. And so I am sort of squashed that down, pulled the red bits out, and um, they're the little red dots, by the way, leaving this so it's one coherent thought. Um, in case you missed it, I'll go back there. Uh, it says that all this is from God through whom, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then it goes to talk again about this ministry of reconciliation and our role as ambassadors for Christ. So that's what I'm pulling out there. So we're left with this bit. All this is from God. What he's saying, all the things that he'd been talking about in the first four chapters is from God. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And I've got a, um, a couple of, of pictures that I, I want to show you to, well, images, to describe that last bit. And this is a great transaction. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. And I don't know if this does it for you, but I... I see the cross somewhat as a ledger on a on a accounting book with a credit and debit side and we've got a credit and debit side and um, and God is righteous Jesus Christ is righteous he's the righteous and holy one there is no sin or shadow or anything else bad with regard to Christ <coughs> we, on the other hand, are full of sin. We were conceived in sin. We, um, as per the reading that uh, Matt brought us earlier, we are part of this fallen world and a world that is chosen to go away from God. And the essence of, of this is, I will do it my way rather than God's way. Okay, so when we realise that we are wrong, that God is holy, righteous, and that he is and is glorious and wonderful and he loved us so much that he died in our place, when we come before him and say, hey, look, I was wrong. Oh, sorry, I'll go back. I was wrong. You uh, died in my place. You rose again that I might have eternal life. I want to go your way 
rather than my way, then God is uh, faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. So when we stand before God and do that, a great transaction, something happens. And this verse 21 says it all. For our sake he made him, that's Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What that means is that, that God's righteousness, at the cross, God's righteousness was imputed to us as our righteousness. And, God's, and our sin was imputed to Christ as his sin. Big word, imputed. I'll get to it. In, but counted as or or credited to us would be other words. So we're saying that God's righteousness was credited to us as our righteousness and our sin was credited to Christ as his sin. And, and what a wonderful thing. And on that cross, Jesus paid the price that we should have justly paid. I just want to reiterate about this imputation. It's actually pretty important in that it contains more than the words credited as. It also says, but not really, or, or but you're not. So when we say that we had Christ's righteousness imputed to us, it was credited to us as righteousness, but we're not right. We're not righteous and we're not holy. We remain sinners. I don't know. Put your hand up if you haven't sinned once since you came to God. Unfortunately, we're sinners. I'm a sinner. I sinned. I will sin. I have sinned. Um, and imputation is a word that carries the idea that, yes, it was credited to us, but we remained the same. And that's true of Christ. Christ never became a sinner. He was always holy, righteous, good, perfect and everything else. Our sin was imputed to him. So he was, it was, the sin was credited to him, but he was never a sinner. A very important point, um, I think. Okay, so now we get to righteousness of the goal and... Um, and the particular thing that we want to talk about in detail, we'll get there. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Real interesting word in the Greek, might become is a single word. <coughs> and it doesn't mean might or might not. That's not the, the sense of it at all. It's more about the happening of the righteousness of God. It's saying, hey, look, the important issue here is that the righteousness of God is what we become. Um, and it has no time sense, but because of the context that we've got here, it, it's translated as, as it is the justification, us being right, made right with God, leads us to be righteous, have the righteousness of God. And 
I want to go back to this picture I started with. Um, Jesus Christ is the righteous and holy one. His character and his behaviour are exactly in line. Ours aren't, and it doesn't look anything like his holiness. We're much less holy. There's perfect conformity between God's holiness and righteousness. The word righteousness says that's perfect conformity, and this is supposed to remind us that when we measure ourselves against God, we get not not righteous and not holy. We're a bit of a mess. But, um, yep, yeah, said that. But God wants us to to grow in righteousness and holiness. In fact, this words that we were looking about that we might become the uh, righteousness of God could be sort of expanded to another application. Uh, it's, um, that is that on the cross, Jesus Christ. Uh, paid the penalty for our sins, when we stand before God and admit our wrong and turn around so that we're going God's way rather than our way, then God's holiness and righteousness are counted as our uh, holiness and righteousness imputed to us. Sometime in the future we will go to be with the Lord. At that time we're told that um, we will be glorified. We're the sin, we will sin no more. We will enter into a, a perfect relationship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that will be wonderful. No more crying, no more tears, and all the rest. But in the time that we have from now on, we are told to grow in maturity in Christ, help each other to be, grow in maturity in Christ. And we call that sanctification. Um, And I'm suggesting that you could sort of, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, could apply to this or does apply to this as well. Um, The translation of pointing it to justification is the, the, the correct positioning of it, but it does happen at a wider application. I do want to say that... Um, justification, that great transaction was all God. We couldn't contribute one iota to that. We are sinners and just do not meet, uh, fall far short of the glory of God. And so it was entirely God's work due to his great love for us. Um, Glorification, when that happens, is all of God. We cannot do anything about that. Sanctification is a joint effort between us and the Holy Spirit. Um, We sang a song um, just before the message, Yet not I, but Christ in me. And God says that we need to walk humbly with himself. Um, Micah 6, 8. Um, we have to walk humbly with our God and our sanctification is walking humbly with God allowing him to change us and I'll just pull out a few verses that talk about this and put on the new self created after the likeness of God 
in true righteousness and holiness, you'll see over the right, I've replaced um, our purification with God Jesus is holy and righteous. What he wants us to do is keep on looking at his righteousness, his holiness, and seeing how we need to change and keep on asking the Holy Spirit to change us. And that's what... um, and, And working at it. Okay. And put on the new self. That sort of says, hey, you've got to do something. You've got to do something. Okay. Therefore, be imitators of God as God's beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Once again, God, holiness and righteousness is our ideal. (coughs) Sorry. We measure ourselves against that and say... I earnestly want to be take on your character. Please change me and transform me. Okay. Which leads us to um, Ephesians 4.17 and the rest of the book, which I'll leave for homework for you or something. It's, it's absolutely filled with things to work on in your life. Things like getting rid of falsehood, uh, bitterness, anger, slander, and tons more. It's absolutely rich of things to deliberately work on to change our character and nature towards that of God. But I do want to emphasise, but not I, but Christ in me. That is, if you try and do that by yourself you're doomed to failure. Not only that, if you did achieve anything, that would be to your glory. The way you glorify God is by allowing God to do the changing and asking him and submitting to him and and seeking to be like him, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you and through you to his good uh, purpose. Okay. Which now leads us to the bit that we left out before. And I want to say that if we love God, like Jesus said once, if you love me, you will um, obey my commandments. He didn't say if you obey my commandments, you'll love me. What he was saying was if your heart is the same as God's, you will do what God wants you to do. And Paul was saying he was constrained by the love of God. His response to God was what he did. Um, For us, that should be the same. It should be that our goal, and I'll get back to this picture, is to want be like God in that we have his heart, to know his good and perfect will, to be holy as he is holy, to have the outworking of that holiness and righteousness, that we are to strive to that. Paul says it's like a race that we should be striving after and working hard at. And we, what is that? That we want to have the heart of God, know what he wants, love what he wants, do what he wants. 
And so we come to this point and say, what is God's heart? What is God's heart? It is the heart of love. God is love. Why did Jesus Christ come into the world? Why? What was the point? What was the reason? Uh, I hope I've got that word. Uh, no, I didn't. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15. I didn't include in there. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. We are saved because Jesus Christ came into the world. We are sinners and saved by that. There's a lot of people who are yet to know Jesus Christ. God wants sinners saved. We should want sinners saved. God wants uh, saved people built up into maturity in Christ. We should want saved people built up into maturity in Christ. In fact, we're told we're given the gifts to, to build one another up. God has forgiven us and presented us with all the wonderful benefits that, that I haven't listed, but ones like we're made children of God. How wonderful is that? We are saved. We are given an eternal inheritance with God. We have a comforter in the Holy Spirit who walks beside us, a helper who will help us in times of difficulties of, in our walk. There's so many blessings that he has given us. Um, and, and as well as that, he's elevated us to a high position. He's given us a ministry of reconciliation and trusted to us the message of reconciliation. We call that the gospel. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you to be, on behalf of Christ, to be reconciled to God. This, um, the previous verses that there was talking about Christians being, uh, or people being brought to Christ, and this gave us the ministry of reconciliation, is us the, the ones brought to Christ. We are allowed to be co-workers with Christ in the core work of uh, saving sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We, we're not the ones that do the saving, by the way. It's the Holy Spirit that does the saving. But we are co-workers in that process and we're called to be co-workers in that process. And so I go on to, uh, to say... Uh, no, I don't want to go... Yeah, I do want to say... There's some rather hard words that um, in the Bible, and these are some of them. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the salt. Pretty good. Pretty good. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And I think this is 
we've been given a high honour and a high role within God's kingdom, co-workers with Christ. We are given a role of being ambassadors for the greatest kingdom and the greatest king in the universe. That's pretty good. But if we don't do our job, I wonder what our use is. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. Nor do people put a lamp uh, and put it under a basket. Not much point. But they put it on a stand and gives light to all the house. <coughs> In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give the glory to your Father who is in heaven. And note that that it's God working through you and that gives glory to the Father who is in heaven. It's not your glory when you do things and we should deflect that offerings of glory to us back to our Saviour, our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so this leaves me with a challenge for us all. In fact, I need to go back to this verse. Um, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled with God. If any of you don't know, any of us don't know Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour of our life, if we don't know his mercy, if you don't, feel his love for you if you don't feel that he died for you and how wonderful that is then Paul Lord urges you and I urge you and God urges you be reconciled with God if we that is you um, need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Christ Messiah and was brought into the world to, to die on your behalf. And you want to turn around and go God's way instead of your own way. If you do know the Lord Jesus Christ, as most of us do, then we should be taking up the challenge of our lives, that working with the Holy Spirit to become more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ in holiness and righteousness, comparing ourselves, won't pick it up, with him and urging the Holy Spirit to change us and transform us. Okay. Um, in the last bit, and it's very brief, now is the time. Working together with him then, working together with God then, with Jesus Christ then, this is a joint effort then, it's we appeal to you not to receive the grace in vain. I mentioned there was false teachers who were pushing the idea that we needed to be saved by our works. And very, very often, even in today's Christian world, we have people who are saying, you need to do this and you need to do that to be saved. Uh, where that is obeying God and his rules. And as we've talked before, no, it is 
holy Jesus Christ's work on the cross on our behalf, his righteousness counted as ours, our sin counted as his, is the basis of our being reconciled with God, not our works. Yet he does want us to obey him and he does want us to do what he loves and what he wants. But we should be doing that because the love of God in our life brings back a reaction from us that uh, controls us, that uh, causes us to want to do these things because God wants them. Okay, so working together with him, the saving of people in this world is not our job. It is our job to go work with Christ to save people. We do the proclaiming, we do the uh, appealing. God does the work in people's hearts. That's why it says working together with him then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He was particularly talking to those in Corinth who had taken up the idea of being saved by works and trying to work their way into God's favour. No. Don't receive God's grace in vain. Embrace the fact that you have no part in your own salvation. It was all Christ, all God's, and hallelujah, that's so, because we would never do it otherwise. God says, for he says, God says, in a favourable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I've helped you. There is a time when God can hear our prayers, God, a time when he will respond to us, and has. And he says that now is the favourable time, now is the day of salvation. Stephen's been talking about Joel and reading us there where that was a, a, a time of the Lord. This is another time of the Lord. It's the now time for us in our relationship with God. This is the now time for, if you don't know Christ, to turn around and go his way. And if you do know Christ, act with deliberate intent, with conscious forethought, with real determination to seek God's holiness and God's righteousness in, in your life, in our life, in my life. And I'll have to say that um, I'm a real work in progress and going my own way happens most days and I have to keep on pulling myself back to being conscious of, of God's plan and God's desires and God's will. So I chuck in just two or four quick thoughts. Regularly read God's word. These help me and maybe they might help you. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that a man might be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible is rich and is suitable for training us towards that goal of taking up being righteous and holy like God is holy. Regularly pray that you will grow in Christ and 
according to the riches of his glory, which is so great that we should be praying to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in our inner beings. We need the Holy Spirit to do this work. And to know the love of Christ, and I guess that's some of the, the point I've been saying, we need to reflect on the love of Christ that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Uh, that was a summary of what I just said. Um, regularly reflect on God's love. Um, get back there. Um, you know, as you read the Psalms and pull out, sometimes in the middle of the night I read the Psalms and they tell me about God's glory and how wonderful he is and what he has done. That's a real sort of leads me to to acknowledge that before God and that really keeps me on track and the last one is regularly commit yourself as a living sacrifice daily is not too often through the day is not too often I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercy of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. This is what we should be doing. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you might discern what is the will of God, what is the perfect, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so I appeal to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. And this is your spiritual worship and in conclusion I'll leave this thought that whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ giving thanks to God the Father through him let's pray almighty God you are glorious you are wonderful, righteous holy God We earnestly desire to take on your character and present that to the world that you might be glorified by our actions and our life, that we might indeed be salt and light in this world, that we may represent you truly and declare your glory and offer your wonderful offer of reconciliation Lord, help us to fulfil the role that you're calling us to, indeed all the roles, building up of our brothers and sisters to maturity in Christ, but also to reaching out to those who are yet to know you and those that don't with your offer of reconciliation. Please work in us, help us to grow in you and become more and more like you. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.